Hello and welcome to FireDev, a fireside chat with people in the industry. Today I have Jeff Edwards. Welcome, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I mean, thank you for coming on the podcast today. So you work at, I mean, how do you pronounce the company? Servia? Servius? I always get it wrong. It's Servio. So they're a VR company, at least they specialize in VR. Um, and they've been around for, I think it's coming on 10 years, I believe. Um, they're just looking to release the, um, the new, an update to their Creed VR boxing, which will be coming out on PlayStation VR two. Uh, so it's, uh, that's sort of their, their claim to fame. And then, uh, they've done a bunch of other stuff, uh, in the VR space before that. Okay. So I'm guessing, uh, actually, just going back a bit, so what other titles has Servios worked on except for Creed and now, you know, the updated version as well? Uh, so a lot of this stuff was all before uh, before my time, but uh, they, had, uh, they did a Walking Dead game uh, for uh, the Quest and Quest 1, uh, they've done uh, a couple of their own sort of IPs all in the VR space. Uh, they did a Westworld game as well. Uh, so there's, they've really been touted as one of the pioneers in, in VR gaming, uh, which, uh, again, you know, it's, it's one of those um, technologies or, or, or formats, platforms, whatever you want to call, call it, that have, have really kind of taken off in a bit. And, you know, I was pretty skeptical when, uh, VR was, was first introduced. I'd done a few things um, previously just in um, kind of demos and whatnot. And I never really never really thought that it was going to be uh, become what it is, but uh, it, it really has taken off and um, it's, you get quite a few different uh, unique experiences out of the platform. Oh yeah, for sure. So what specifically attracts you to the VR space? Because I remember you, just now you said that you wasn't, uh, you know, too sure when he first started coming about. So what was, like, can you remember a title or a tech demo or the hardware that you tried and you was like, this is, you know, the thing that I want to get into? Um, you know, it was really, uh, I, was, I was at a buddy's place uh, in my hometown. We uh, have a pretty decent uh, kind of game uh scene here game development scene and uh he had gotten a hold of the early uh oculus quest um dev kits and we were kind of playing around and i remember we were sitting we were all over and he sat us down and we were, we were trying it out and uh there was this cool little demo where you're stuck in a room and it was constantly the the walls around you started to collapse and then they would you know you turn your head and something else would kind of pop out to the side uh, and then there was this roller coaster demo, which again made me quite nauseous at the time. Um, but uh, you know, it was one of those things where it's just the immersion that you could get out of this technology kind of blew me away. Um, again, because of the queasiness, I wasn't sure how and how silly you know at times people look when you're you're watching uh, when you're not actually inside the headset. 
Um, I think that's part you know, of the fun as well for... Yes. Because <laughs> yeah, if you're watching somebody play a regular game like on PlayStation 5 on the TV, it can be fun in you know, certain experiences like Uncharted, The Last of Us, but for the most part, you're you're disconnected and you don't really care too much. But with VR, it's kind of fun to see... <laughs> You know, see them acting, you know, like a buffoon and, <laughs> and them trying to do whatever they're trying to do. And you just see them squatting to the ground, like their natural things that they do, squatting to the ground. I, I, I saw one person, you know, try to roll over once. <laughs> <laughs> and just that, you know, is entertainment in itself. So, but yeah, if you carry on about, you know, <laughs> people looking a bit silly whilst doing it. Yeah, it was just one of those things because I'm, you know, I'm a, a normally somewhat self-conscious uh, individual and that was always going through the back of my head at the beginning. And obviously when you get into the experience, you you know, you block all that stuff out and you just, you know, you continue to do what you need to do. Um, but uh, yeah, it was uh, one of those things that I just, I didn't see it. But again, I, I was quite... <laughs> quite curious on you know where this was going to go and then i had an opportunity again as i mentioned I, i'd worked on a few demos and then um the last couple places that i'd worked at had all sort of had a kind of a vr element to it uh, and then again with, with service just seeing what they did um you know i had the the pleasure of working with a few of the uh the few of the team from servios before in previous studios uh so i knew kind of what I was getting into with with the people, which is always a nice thing. Uh, and then, you know, just seeing what they did and, um, you know, how how they tackled the, the platform, uh, again, was really, uh, was something I wanted to be a part of. Um, you know, again, I definitely see with the with the rise of, of PlayStation and, you know, Oculus 3 or Meta, um, their third generation platform. And uh, it, it's definitely a, something that's it's up and coming you know hopefully it sticks around for a lot and you know as systems get more powerful um you know the graphics get better and you get immersion uh is become sort of a it takes you fully in there and um you know really beneficial to the to the player and again the experiences that you create are, are very unique from your flat screen experience oh yeah for sure the experiences that you get in vr I remember the First time I tried VR was similar to you. I tried the development kit. Development kit 2 was out, I remember, but I was at some sort of game, um, I think some sort of technology conference, and they had like a little gaming section, and they had DK1. They didn't have DK2. I don't know what the, the reason was, but I remember it was out, but they had DK1. I tried it, and I remember being impressed by it, but I'm not usually a person that gets, you know, lightheaded or nauseous when I'm playing, let's say, games or 3D, you know, watching 3D movies as other people do. But with the, like, the DK1, I was a bit, I was like, I don't think I want to have this on my head for that long. And obviously the resolution wasn't that high as well. But when Rift came out and they actually had a sale on where or, or they reduced the price a lot and instead of paying eight nine hundred pound like close to a thousand pound with all the sensors and everything it was down to like about 600 and i was like okay that's not too bad i bought that and i was like the like the when i put it on and i tried that demo i don't know if you've played that oculus demo where you're in the the caravan not the caravan the yeah the, the kind of like a caravan and it was remind me of breaking bad and I, uh, the experience i just thought 
this is it actually feels like I'm in the game now and the like I had like a warm tingly feeling in me that I never really had when playing other games and I had played loads of games over the years on different platform PC console handheld mobile as well and the experience of VR and I remember taking the headset off and I still get that experience now where I think it's I kind of want to go back in there <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and that's all, the, 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 not necessarily the best feeling when you see see some you know movies like Ready Player One and some other movies how things and even Matrix I guess you know how things you know turn out but I remember always thinking that you know, almost disappointing when I took it off. I'm like, it was a bit nice. <laughs> it was a bit nicer just being in that little caravan thing in that demo or whatever the game is. So, yeah, for sure, the experience of VR is on another level. So, as Servios, have you had the opportunity to try the next Quest headset, like the Quest 3 or not? Uh, unfortunately, I have not. We were uh, Quest Three. We haven't. Uh, I know we've had. Uh, I think demos of it. Uh, we've got our, our PlayStation Two uh, VR kits. We're, we're coming in. Um, so that that side, uh, I actually I still even had tried those. We have a few of them in the office, but uh, again, they're uh, unfortunately a little hard to get. At the moment, but um, and being on production side, they're not always. Uh, I'm not the first in line, but um, no, it, it's. I think you kind of mentioned something before with, which is one of the things that I think VR really needs to overcome in general is just the price or mm. barrier to entry. Is you know with uh, you know here in, in Canada, uh, where I am, you know the PlayStation Two is coming in at you know close to. Eight hundred, nine hundred dollars. Once you, you know, you get all the stuff you need. That's pretty pricey after you spend a thousand dollars on a console. Um, and even with the Quest, um, you know, the the Quest Two is is come down quite a bit in price. But you know, as you said, it, it it is pretty expensive for the average user to jump on board after you already have a console. But um, definitely, you know, I said the experiences for the most part can't be beaten. Oh yeah, it's it, it's a totally you know, different level of experience. But yeah, the price point is definitely one of those things that I mean, Quest definitely has done a good job. Uh, I mean, you can just tell by the sales of making it more accessible because you literally just need that headset. Yes, you can you know you can improve the Quest Two with you know the battery pack and you know the better strap and everything. But just the barrier to entry, it's not too bad. You don't need anything else because obviously in the Rift days, Oculus Rift days when that first came out, not only did you have to spend all that money on the headset, have rooms to be able to put you know the base stations around with you know a clear view as well, and then obviously you know the room. And generally, I find with the older headset, you, you needed a bit more room because the you know the outside in tracking versus the inside out tracking and you also needed a powerful pc so realistically all in you was definitely looking over two thousand dollars or two thousand pounds to get a good experience on vr back in those days and even now if you're trying to you know do pc gaming vr and obviously if somebody only has a console or doesn't have a powerful PC, then that's a that's a hard sell to say to them. You know, you can get this amazing experience with, let's say, Lone Echo and Half Life Alex, but you know, you're gonna have to spend 
so much money on it and you're probably not going to use it outside of that because you don't already have you know a gaming machine otherwise you would already have one if you were going to use it for other purposes like you know rendering editing or other gaming so yeah the price point definitely is one of those things what do you think can be done to bring down the price aside from just economy the scale and just time like what stuff would you emit from some of the headsets and think not that important you know i think that's one of the uh, definitely a tough question because i don't know if there is anything you can truly emit from the the headsets uh you know other than i know like on a console scale um what i think you know would help especially well for it's definitely for Sony, but even just general adoption is if the headset was included um, in the price of the console. So, you know, it's maybe you take a lost leader, similar to what, you know, Microsoft tried to push through with uh, their Kinect mm. uh, cameras on, on multiple occasions, which unfortunately didn't work for them. Uh, but, um, you know, if it's, if it's already included in the price of your console, uh, you're going to get that adoption anyways. Um, more so because again, you want the console, and then all of a sudden, this you know nice little attachment peripheral comes with it. Um, outside of you know, outside of that, for the other platforms, um, I think it really just comes down to you know you need to have that uh, you know a couple titles that all of a sudden become must play experiences, and uh, you know the market sort of forces that adoption uh, as that's the only way to play that ex you know play that game or you know experience that you know particular title but yeah they, they've really have done a good job in terms of you know reducing the uh, at least in my mind getting rid of all the things you don't need again you can go with the the standalone you can go with just the headset um, you know it's just I think it's just one of those things you know if you want to be on the the latest tech you're going to have to unfortunately spend a little bit of uh cash to get there and, and to play in that sandbox but um like i said i think the biggest thing for me is you know if sony really wanted to push this platform um to include it within the the price of the console yeah i mean that's an interesting one because it they can either go one of two ways with that either like you're saying have a loss leader so the price of the console isn't much more if at all or like probably a little bit or and or have you know increased the, the price of the bundle uh, a bit again maybe not as much as buying them separately but still an increase but then after Sony's seen what happened with Microsoft, th if they had any plans of doing that, they're probably maybe thinking that, mm, not too sure, because I feel like Xbox got hurt with uh, the Xbox One generation, partly because of that, partly because, you know, that always online thing that they initially had, mm -hmm. and and, if, and the price point as well. And because even though... Um, Sony sold a lot of PS3 consoles. I think maybe even more than 360. People still consider the 360 the winner of that. I think seven for sixth generation console. You know, you know, excluding Wii, that's kind of doing its own thing. Nintendo is, and Sony really won the PlayStation 4 versus Xbox One. So 
I think they don't want to, you know, risk it and, you know, alienate a lot of people because the other thing is, even if they have a lost leader, I know you'll get people that'll say that, oh, you're making me pay, let's say, five, six hundred for, you know, in the UK, let's say, five hundred quid for a PlayStation 5, whereas if you take the headset out, I should only pay 300 for example. They're, they're not realising the console is £500. They just happen to give it you for free or very cheap. Because I feel like a lot of gamers aren't going to appreciate that either outside of you know analysts. So even if they try and do a loss leader they might not get the you know the best reputation and that backlash i feel like they rather get because ps5 is selling really well it's definitely selling better than the xbox series generation of consoles so yeah they definitely don't want to risk it i was surprised with the ps vr2 price that it's more than a playstation 5 i don't know how it is in canada but in the UK, it's more than the PlayStation 5 if you go and grab it from the store. Is it more or less? Uh, it is more. So again, yeah. for me, you know, I, I just bought the... Uh, I've got all systems, but, uh, you know, I, I just have the, the digital PlayStation uh, version. And yeah, it's, you know, substantially more. <laughs> mm. And then, you know, it's... I think it's slightly... Well, I've only we've only been able to find bundles for the most part uh, here, but uh, you know it's on par with the cost of the console, as you said. So it's uh, it's definitely is challenging, and and I totally agree with the you know again Microsoft didn't do it well, and again including it with the console would be definitely tricky. Um, but I just you know it's it's one of those tough things where it is uh, it's you have to be uh, you know either earning so much money or have some really nice parents uh to uh to get that uh, <laughs> that headset on top of your your console price so oh yeah it's like the the price of you know getting a psvr2 and then you know the playstation you're not quite but you're almost getting into the realms of pc gaming then it's, it's oh yeah. yeah it's it's like going towards that and then it kind of makes you think that Unless you've already got a PS5, because let's say you've already got PS5, you bought it back in 2020 when they first came out. That's a different ball game because you know you're already invested, and yeah, you've got to buy the the headset. But it's better than buying a gaming PC if you don't have one. But if you're looking at it now and you haven't bought a PS5 for whatever reason, you're looking and thinking, mm, maybe, maybe not. What I do like that Quest or you know Meta did now is that with the Quest headsets, you can still use that and connect it to your computer, wired or wireless, with Oculus Link, and play all of those Rift-only titles, you know, and also, you know, the HTC, you know, the Steam VR titles mm. as well. So I think that was a good move on Facebook's part, because they could have easily said that, oh, if you want to play those titles, you have to have a Rift. And if you want to have the standalone VR experience and take it anywhere, you have to have the Quest. But instead they said, you know, you can have the Rift, which they really haven't been pushing that much now, or you can have the Quest that can do a lot of the Rift functionality as well. Like, what was your opinion on the Facebook acquisition of Quest when that first happened? I know a lot of people hated that. Uh, yeah, I think the biggest thing that uh, annoyed me was the... Uh, 
the switching to a meta account and linking all your, your accounts. Uh, for some reason, I missed the probably numerous emails about that and how easy it was supposed to be. And then it took me, uh, I kept on delaying that little update and that account switch. <laughs> and then eventually uh, it took a Google search to figure out how I, what I was doing wrong. Um, but um, no, you know, I didn't, uh, again, I like where, you know, Meta is kind of taking uh, the technology. You know, I think they're, again, potentially, you know, with the whole metaverse, they're a little ahead of the game. Uh, and adoption, again, is going to be kind of tough. But, um, you know, from the just solely the, the Oculus or the VR side of things, you know, I haven't noticed too much. You know, I, again, I think having that kind of money behind, um, you know, the platform and, and really pushing VR as an agenda uh, on numerous different spaces, uh, I think is a good thing. Um, you know, I'm I'm in my the quest to or the you know every day uh, there's a supernatural vr kind of fitness experience um sort of like a combination of boxing and beat saber um but you know i'm you know i do that every day it's you know a great little you know workout and you know incredibly engaging so you know i, I just i've i definitely like you know where they're headed what they're doing um no major issues with you know i didn't know much quest before you know the uh the meta takeover uh or at least the the name change anyways uh so i can't speak too much on you know the big differences um but again so far um you know i, I do really like the fact that you know they they do see a feature in this and then it is uh an investment they're they're willing to to back and um, again, the platform is fairly open in terms of what you can do there, uh, as well as, you know, again, the type of experiences you can find, uh, within the platform. Oh yeah. So yeah, I remember at the time thinking I like, I had a, a few friends moaning about it. And at the time I was thinking that Quest does not seem like a company slash software that they would shelve, you know, buy and shelve because companies like Facebook have been notorious for that. So I thought that they're probably going to do something with it and they've got the money, like you were saying, to really make moves. I don't think something like the Quest would have come about if they didn't, you know, get bought out by Facebook with all that money. So definitely that, you know, all their resources has definitely helped them and, you know, connecting them as well. I know a lot of people were either confused or didn't like that thing that, you know, you had to have the Facebook account. I never was that fussed by it, you know, as long as, because I always had a Facebook account, you know, for years. And as long as the Facebook login just works seamlessly, I never had an issue. I know people, you know, uh, you find a lot of, you know, let's say nerds that just get, you know, emotional over this sort of stuff. And it's like, as long as it works, it, it doesn't really matter. And ultimately you are still, it's it's their company. So you don't have to use it. You can go and use Vive or, you know, Valve Index or PSVR if that's really that much of an issue or ultimately. So I remember you was talking about PSVR 2 and, and obviously Servios is at the cutting edge of VR, especially with PlayStation VR. How much 
time do you get with like a development kit before the headset comes out? Because it came out in February. How long have you had like a PSVR 2 dev kit for? Uh, much like all the uh, the dev kits, uh, regardless of um, whether it's you know, VR or you know, Xbox, Sony, Nintendo, whatever. Um, you know, if you're lucky enough to be on the, you know, approved developers list, and, you know, again, if who you potentially know within, uh, the company, you're, you're able to get them pretty early. Uh, so I think we were experimenting with them. I think it was a couple months before, uh, you know, they were well, well, a couple months, definitely before the, you know, obviously the launch and all that stuff. And I think we were seeing earlier ones um pretty can't even i'm just trying to remember when heard mention of our first one that we were that they had gone in um i have to say it's close to you know five six months it's been around for we've had we've seen versions of all the early consoles uh relatively early and then again it's truly important for the developer to get an understanding and uh at least an insight into the, you know, the new platform. So you can make sure that you're, you know, if, especially if you're going for a launch title and whatnot, uh, you need to make sure you're, you're dealing with the hardware that, uh, you know, the title is going to be on. Uh, I need to make sure that you're working closely with the uh, first party platforms to, uh, you know, understand what's coming down the pipe as it is in beta or, you know, it's, you know, working, uh, working platform just to ensure again that those those decisions you're making for the title uh, are the right ones and that they showcase the hardware in the best light uh, so you know I, I think you know that is um, has always been a uh, a luxury for you know some of the the bigger companies and some of the you know more uh, just established players within you know the, the dev space so Getting a hand early access to to platforms definitely puts you ahead of the game. Okay, so obviously PSVR two was announced, you know, quite a while ago. And so, what's the process for a company like Servios when they see that announcement, or do they know, you know, through the back channels with Sony? Because obviously they've been making games with Sony that oh, a new headset is coming. And let's start working on the next, you know, version or of the games, or you know, some new games with, you know, better graphics, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, how, like, how does that process occur? Uh, well, in the case of uh, Creed, you know, I think uh, really it was we knew that the uh, through the our relationship with Sony and and um, the fact that uh, you know Creed, I believe, was was packaged at one point with the, the initial PlayStation uh, VR headset. Um, you know, they they got sort of a heads up that, hey, this was coming down relatively early. Um, it wasn't until the, um, really the announcement of the new movie and, and all that stuff that uh, the team, I think, got interested in sort of doing an upgrade to, um, their latest version, latest VR version. Uh, and it was just one of those, just, I think, a, a backroom conversation. Hey, how's it going? You know, let's, you know, is there something that we can do here? 
Um, and then lo and behold, the project comes comes to fruition. Uh, so I think it depends in, on, the, on the situation that you're in. Uh, again, sometimes it is more of a, a direct conversation um, with the with the first party or again sometimes if you're you know work for hire studio and you know someone a publisher's saying hey we have this title we it's going to be a launch title let's get you um situated with the right people uh and kind of go from there um but it definitely varying it, it depends i think like i said on the title and, and the situation but in this case it was uh you know again servios had a relationship with sony um you know we've we've done this the title did well it is still a, a very popular seller within all vr spaces uh and this was just an opportunity that uh you know i think sony and servio saw as hey we're gonna go big with this uh with this new platform uh release a popular re-release a popular seller with you know some upgrades uh and then definitely tie into well, the now success of the uh, the new Creed three movie. So, what's the sort of difference between a development kit PlayStation VR two and an actual PlayStation VR two? Because you know, when you get some development kit, you know, consoles, especially you know before they're out, they can sometimes be a bit more powerful and then you know certain things have to be toned down like what are the differences between the you know the dev kit and the one that i would go and buy from you know a store i wish i could give you a, a really good answer on this one but unfortunately do <laughs> i have not uh i've not actually held the dev kit but from what i understand from you know people who have been using it there's not much difference between the two uh in this case uh you know i remember way back when when we were doing uh, Game Boy Advance games, the initial Game Boy Advance dev kit from Nintendo was actually basically just a cardboard box uh, with you know some electronics inside. Uh, so um, you know it it's I think you get a mixed bag depending on how early it is. But uh, from what I understand, the kits that we were given were all pretty much um, you know pretty close to what the uh, actual retail versions were uh, and nothing too crazy like uh, and even the old some of the old uh, PlayStation ones and, and Xbox ones were, were dramatically different um, in scale and in the whole bit but uh, I think this one was was pretty pretty close to what the uh, the rest of the public will see. Okay, yeah, and that helps obviously developers as well, and you know the team because they know what they're creating. If he works on the dev kit, it's probably going to work on you know the release version. Maybe the, a few small changes, but if you're getting something drastically different, maybe something that's more overpowered, and then you're always kind of on edge, thinking you know, do I want to utilize you know the full hardware of this, and then the real one comes out and it's nowhere near as powerful. The, so yeah, there always is that issue. And do you get a released one closer to the time so you can basically have your games, you know, more optimized for it? Or do you not get the release one until it's actually officially released? 
Uh, no, we won't get the the actual ones until they're released. Sometimes, um, you know, I've been in cases where there is an update to the dev kit and then you can request the new ones, you know, other smaller or re redefined uh, versions. And then you can kind of return your old one uh, and get the, the latest and greatest, uh, which again helps, um, you know, if they've made any tweaks or optimizations, again, reduce memory, increase memory, all those fun things. Um, you you can kind of work with those new ones and work with, you know, the the publishers or, or again, the first party to, to get those kits. Um, but yeah, for the, for the most part, you usually, you know, you're getting the retail kit like like everyone else, maybe a little bit early, but not much. Because um, again, they want to keep that stuff under wraps as much as possible. Um, and it it could also possibly be just you know who you who you happen to know. Again, I think we're uh, Servios is pretty pretty connected with Sony. Again, the relationship is uh, stood the test of time here for for some of these, for especially for Creed. Um, but uh, yeah, it's for the most part. There's we're all excited to see the console come out, just like everybody else. That's good. So, what aspects of the current state of VR do you think need to be improved to take you to the next level? Um, you know, I think they just need to get more powerful, um, and you know, that's just going to come with time. And you know, our our tech stack it, it's you know constantly evolving. Uh, year after year, but you know, as um, you know, Sony and um, PlayStation, or sorry, Sony and, and Microsoft, you know, really, you know, with their latest gen consoles, you know, it is getting incredibly lifelike, you know, and um, you know, with you know, 8K, um, you know, textures, and uh, it's it's one of those things where you know, VR needs to, you know, we need to be able to get a headset that is able to uh to run that um you know i think the trying to uncouple yourself from the pc is as much as possible uh again the, <laughs> if you look at uh and you see this a lot but i know you know we like servios likes to uh to showcase some of the uh the videos that come from playing creed where you know you're the users attached to their cable and you know they're playing it on their TV and all of a sudden they go and punch their TV. Um, you know, so I, I think that, you know, there needs to be a way to, to solve, uh, you know, solve that on a grander scale, but, you know, really I think it's just the getting up to the same level or close to the same level as, uh, you know, your, the flat screen equivalent, uh, to bring that immersion to as high as you can and the visual fidelity, um, up to the, to the level that we're now used to within consoles and PC. Oh yeah, like some VR experiences, especially in the early days, but even the odd one now, you put it on and you feel like you've gone maybe one generation back in console uh, or two generations back, and it's just you just think uh, like it's you know it's immersive, but it's not quite obviously what you used to you know when you're looking at it on the tv but then you do get some games like lone echo half-life alex you've got obviously you know creed and you know the walking dead games that servios is making and also you know horizon call of the mountain that's you know come out recently i've been playing that and i'll you know i'll put that headset on 
and I play Horizon in VR, and I think this looks, you know, really good. Uh, probably not quite as good as, you know, Horizon 2, but overall, I don't think it doesn't, you know, look like a PS5 game in VR. It, it looks like a PS5 game in VR, so, yeah, definitely it's getting there. In terms of sort of stuff I think they could work on, resolution, definitely. I think just the overall comfortability of the headsets, because I still find it, diff- depending on the headset, I still find it difficult to want to play longer than 30 to 60 minutes. I just find it just gets a bit too uncomfortable. Either one of the headsets will put a bit too much pressure on my forehead, or one will put a bit too much pressure on, you know, the bone, you know, the cartilage in my nose. Like, there'll be something about one of the, e- e- that each headset that'll just not make it comfortable for too long. And I think, that is definitely a big one that they need to improve is the comfortability of it. I mean, how do you find the headsets for really long play sessions? Um, I definitely agree. Um, you know, it's not one of those things where, you know, I'm not going to have a, you know, a four hour session, uh, you know, well, mind you, I think those days are, are not always, they're, they're fading away quickly in general, but <laughs> my ability to play four hours straight. Um, but definitely, you know, I think um, that is, you know, a big issue. And, you know, I think a lot of companies are really looking into that in terms of, um, again, ensuring that the uh, adoption rate is uh, increases. Again, you, you need to have a, a comfortable headset. You know, it's, it can be weighty, you know, and the, the downside with that, again, you have to adjust, you know, people have different levels of, you know, acceptance in terms of comfortability there. Um, so I think they're trying, but, you know, it's going to be a give and take. Uh, you know, I, I think you'll see a lot more, um, you know, as they get, as the sets get more popular and uh, you'll find more peripherals to, you know, adjust comfortability and, know different straps or you know padding and and whatnot uh to ensure that the user is uh as comfortable as possible for the length that they're playing but it's definitely going to be an uphill battle but i think that's just the way it is in in all uh peripherals you look at controllers and the number of different configurations and sizes that uh, they have to attempt to account for you know a user's play style or, or you know, just how they expect the the device to feel in their hands, you know, you'll see, I think, the same thing uh, to as much of an extent as you can, because obviously the headset has to be a certain size and has to have whatever capabilities to support the, uh, the tech. But I think the rest of it will be adaptable as, um, will be more adaptable as the platform gets, you know, more adoption. Yeah, the, that's definitely going to be one of those things. It needs the adoption to get the economies of scale to get you know the price down to get obviously you know the hardware up as well. But yeah, I, it's it's going in the right direction. It's just one of those things that needs to stay successful enough to get these you know advancements in there because obviously if that starts dropping out the success of it then those advancements that can really make it a staple of gaming for let's say most people go away and that would be a real shame so is servios implementing any of the eye tracking in the new creed uh i 
wasn't directly on that project. I believe where uh, the goal was was to um, hit as many of the uh, key features within the PlayStation 2 uh, headset as possible. Uh, so I'm pretty sure the team has gone full board here. Um, again, you don't want to... Uh, you don't want to make a, uh, especially when it's, you know, in that launch window, you, you definitely want to uh, show all of the, all the bells and whistles if you can. So uh, I'm pretty sure that they've gone uh, full board here. And again, it's, uh, it was a great team. Uh, I know, I know the team that was working on it, uh, you know, has put a lot of time in it to, to update and, and add, uh, you know, new game modes and features to the, to the title. So, um, you know, I think they're, they're proud of it. And, and, and hopefully the you know the public thinks it's a, a good uh, a good update to you know an already uh, well received title. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm looking forward to playing the new Creed game. I remember playing the original Creed on my I think it was Quest One. I'm playing it on that, and uh, it's been one of those ones I've been saying, you know, I wouldn't mind playing it a bit more, but then there's so many other games that come out, uh, and the old ones, uh, you just don't get time for it, but I'm going to make time for the new one. So what game or games are you working on, sir, on at Servi Austin? Uh, so uh, service is currently working on uh, a new Aliens game that was announced. I saw, yes. Um, so that is uh, again. It'll be in the, your survival horror style, um, but um, you know that it was a, a huge, you know, I think a huge get for you know Serbios. It's uh, going to be uh, the plans are uh, for it to be cross-platform um, and have a, a very unique VR experience. Um, but uh, you know that's the sort of the the main push uh, right now for the studio. Uh, is to ensure that this is the best experience that they can um, that they can make. Oh yeah, I, I mean that's a big deal for any studio to get a title as you know beloved because obviously Creed is one thing that's just great, but to get an Alien game, uh, you know, to do the, that just shows how confident the studio behind Alien is in Servios's the talent and ability to ship. VR titles that they're giving, you know, Servios that opportunity. I mean, I would like to play it, but this, I'm not the biggest fan of horror. If it was a regular game on the TV, because I like Alien and the Predator movies, I would be willing to play Alien. But in VR, uh, I mean, I'll probably just watch some videos. Because <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that being super scary. <laughs> Well, that's that's definitely the uh, you know definitely pushing for that. Um, you know, it's um, aliens. It does have a huge following. Um, it's one of those classic horror kind of IPs, um, and we really wanted to. Well, the goal for the team is is to really, really embrace that and capture as much of the. Uh, the magic from that IP as possible and, uh, you know, really showcase the, the xenomorph and in all its glory and, and, you know, being fully immersed within that environment um, is 
I think it's going to be pretty special. Uh, you know, if we can pull it off. Oh yeah, I mean, I've got confidence in because all their sort of titles that Servios makes seems to be good. So, and they know VR. It's not like it's their first VR game, and it's a big, you know, IP like Alien. So they know what they're doing. What's your favorite Servios game? Uh, you know, I for me, I'm it's <laughs> it's I'm a huge. Uh, I've always been a, a huge puzzle bobble. They did a puzzle bobble 3D. Uh, it's just a, a smaller thing for PlayStation. Um, but I'm always a big fan of that uh, particular uh, IP. Uh, so um, probably that. And, you know, I like, I'm a, I'm a big sports guy. Uh, so I do enjoy uh, getting the chance to, you know, get in the ring. Uh, so I, I would probably have to say, uh, probably their last two. Uh, I wasn't around for you know the earlier titles, uh, The Walking Dead, Westworld, and um, you know their Raw Data, which was one of their big, uh, I think Sprint Vector, sort of their earlier titles. Uh, so you know I came on board uh, a year and a year or so ago, um, and really caught the tail end of that. But getting in, you know, again to the their late last couple titles. Um, one solely for the IP, and then the other one uh, solely for the fact that I do, I do enjoy Rocky. And again, like I said, uh, stepping into the ring is is always a good time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I remember playing boxing on the Wii and on uh, what was what I'm trying to think what the motion controllers were called on the PlayStation, on PlayStation 3, and then they brought it to PS4, wherever they were called again. I remember playing titles on that, and then obviously having it in VR is, is definitely a good experience. So Servios does a lot of VR games, like it's predominantly VR. What about VR entices Servios instead of going into conventional console gaming? Um, I think it's always been the mandate for the company. It's about creating unique experiences. Um, and again, that immersion that you get with VR, uh, it is unlike anything else. Um, and I know the founders are, are really passionate about that um, and tailoring something completely unique uh, that you can't get anywhere else. Uh, and I think ultimately that is um, what draws everybody to the platform and even AR where you're looking at something. It is a unique experience uh, that you're putting the, the user in. Um, and it has a lot of different applications within uh, the digital landscape. Like it's not just a gaming tool. Uh, it can be huge for marketing, which I've done in the past, where you know you're you're setting up a you know you're sort of test driving a, a vehicle, or you're looking at you know specs within you know you're pulling up specs on on other things, or doing other small games within your desktop on via an AR. Uh, experience. So I think that's what draws everyone to the, the platform. Um, and definitely I think are, you know, the founders um, for Servios uh, and sort of where they've headed and where they continue to push. Yeah, it's definitely a unique experience that 
Yeah, it's it's one of those things that when you look at it, especially if you're in that space, you know, making games, you think that it's not typical. It's not the PS5 is just a you know a upgraded version of the PS4, PS4 upgraded version, you know, the PS3 effectively, and then you can just keep going. It's, that's all it is. But when you get something like this and it's just totally different, you just think, you know, want to try it out, want to get onto it. You know, it could be the next best thing. And, you know, we could be one of the pioneers. Obviously, Servios is still in the early days with VR and it's been here since the really early days of vr gaming so it's going to be one of those companies that i think at least their titles will be remembered as some of those really pivotal moments for people to get into vr what's your favorite vr headset and why because you've tried a bunch of headsets i'm guessing you must have a favorite uh mine's still uh it's uh, and it might always be just the standalone uh uh, Quest Two or or Meta Two, well, um, you know I just I like being attached from my PC. I know you can't play all of the you know the latest and greatest at times where you know you you need the um, the power of the PC. But I just like the the freedom to be attached from you know my PC. Um, you know I like it, the fact that it's it's portable um you know everything about the just the controllers the headsets pretty decent um but i just yeah for me i just don't want to be tied down to i don't want to have a cable uh attached to me and i know you can do the air you know you can air do things wirelessly and again you're you're always at the the mercy of your connection but um you know i that's will always probably be my favorite um favorite headset um and it's also not too bulky um so we'll see what happens you know as as the new ones come out and uh as, as things get smaller you know ideally it just becomes you know you're putting on a pair of glasses um which would be uh ideal moving you know in the years to come um but uh that's my go-to yeah i mean for sure uh, i i'm just looking around because i'm in my office i've got a you know bunch of vr headsets having because i'm one of those guys that you know loves technology loves gaming so uh, all the new technology that comes out I, i'm straight onto it you know i had the rift got quest one and two a book quest pro as well got ps vr one in the loft vr two here and a valve index and out of all of those headsets and you know you got from the cheap to the expensive standalone to you know pc to you know playstation vr i still prefer either quest 2 or obviously quest pro because i've got that now but if i didn't have that it would still be the quest 2 just what you're saying the fact that i don't have to be in this room where you know like my computer is you know let's say the playstation is i can be in any room i can take it to a friend's house and I also find that the time between me putting the headset on and me being in game is as fast as a console. Whereas with PC VR, I find that there's always something that I'm at, like, oh, the, the sensors aren't quite working. I have to disconnect and reconnect them. I need to reconfigure this or, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's always something um, that that's always an issue with the PC VR stuff. And that's kind of what prevents me from playing more because it's been ages since I played, 
in PC VR and I want to like I want to play Half-Life Alex again I want to complete Lone Echo 2 and I want to do some more experiences on there with the Valve Index but uh, every time I've gone to play I've I've always had to spend so much time just to get stuff working and I'm like oh can I really be bothered and then obviously there's the external base stations as well there's you know there's those issues that have to be you know externally powered and and then when you get a, a Quest headset that has the cameras on there it's got a battery and especially with the Quest Pro that it comes with the dock. It's, it's just ready to go. It's just constantly ready to go. And that's the headset. The Quest 2 is the one that I always recommend to someone. If they ask which one should they buy, even if they say they got a bit more of a budget, I always say go for the Quest 1. It's a good introductory headset. And you can just easily get into it. You can play most things. If you really want it, you can do PC VR on it as well. Obviously, it's not as good, but you, you can do it. And so that's the headset I always recommend. So yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. Quest for sure, at least for now. Um, I, I think PS P, PSVR could potentially have been near the top if it was wireless. The fact that it was wired really brings it down a notch for me. But again, they obviously have greater fidelity with the games horizon obviously creed coming out you've got you know what's it called gran turismo as well it's hard to get the experience in quest 2 so it's kind of a balance i'm happy they they got a single cable instead of the p you know the psvr you know breakout box with all those cables mm. uh, that was so annoying <laughs> yeah. so how much of your gaming is vr based these days uh, you know, outside of, uh, you know, the stuff I do for work, I'm still, uh, you know, I'm still a console, uh, traditionalist. Um, you know, I still just would prefer to, to fire up my console and, you know, crash on the couch or get in the comfy chair and, and sort of go from there. Um, again, other than, you know, my sort of morning workout routine with, uh, with my quest, um a lot of it is is still and still console based or um you know the odd mobile title that uh you know i'll check out uh, if anything is, is really popular that i that i need to look at um which hasn't been for a little while <laughs> but uh um yeah i you know again i i like it i appreciate it um but again for me um outside of, out of work and, you know, a few things that uh, you know, I've been told to, to check out because, again, you want to make sure you're staying on top of things as much as you can. Um, uh, yeah, it is it is very console-based. Okay. So what games are you currently playing on, you know, your console these days or consoles? Let's see. I've, I've been behind, so we finished. We got... Uh, uh, We've got Ragnarok, and then we did that. <laughs> uh, finally getting through Red Dead Redemption 2, which has been a horridly long process for me, unfortunately. Amazing game, but I'm just, uh, <laughs> it's been slow. Um, what else do we have on the go? Um, I, I've been, I, I've had a, a love, a love-hate relationship with uh and only hate because it sucked a lot of time. Uh, but Hades, I still go back to that. 
it's a roguelike game. I don't know if you if you played it or not, but absolutely fabulous uh, title. Uh, I, I've I've sunk numerous way, well, it is an embarrassing amount of hours into that title. Um, and what else did we? Uh, Gotham Knights finished as well. Um, huge Batman fan. Uh, How so was that? Because uh, I've been a, a huge Batman fan as well here. Played all the older Arkham games, including the VR one, and I enjoyed all of them. I, I haven't heard the best things about Gotham Knights. You know, it's it's got issues. Um, you know, it's uh, it's definitely one of those things where you know you're so used to you know playing as as Batman and you know seeing things from that side when you're put into the world when you're not uh you know playing as the character that you'd expect to um it's a little off-putting but you know if you're a fan of the ip or you know dc you still get lots of enjoyment out of it you know they've changed a few things but uh overall the the play experience um wasn't it wasn't off-putting for me uh, it's, you know, it's, I definitely enjoyed it. You know, I completed it. The multiplayer stuff is just kind of the battle royale stuff is like, yeah, it's, it's there. Um, not my, you probably could have done something better, but, uh, again, the game itself, uh, you know, despite some, some bugs here and there, uh, I still, I still enjoyed it. Um, uh, you know, the story was. It was comic bookish, you know. It had its its own <laughs> its flares, um, you know, good and bad. But again, I I can't I can't fault them. Again, they got it out. From what I understand, it was quite the quite the dev cycle to get that game out. Um, but you know, ultimately, you know, it was an experience that uh, that I enjoyed, and uh, I would I'd recommend it. You know, maybe not that you know, a, a full price if you're not, if you're not a, a hardcore fan, but uh, definitely worth checking out. Uh, visually, it's, you know, I found it uh, quite impressive as well. Uh, so it's pros and cons, but uh, again, definitely an experience that uh, I enjoyed being a fan of the, uh, you know, the IP. Yeah. I mean, it's, I've just had a but it's just the same as you. I just feel like, you know, as you get older, you have family, you have work commitments, and all the other stuff. You just get behind on gaming. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get through my stuff as well. And uh, it, it feels like a never-ending battle. I've just got to the point where I'm just like, it just means I've got plenty of stuff to play. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and as long as the experiences are good, then it's fine. And it, the problem occurs where, you know, if a game comes out and you don't play for a few years, then you try and go back to it and play it, and then it's just not good enough to play anymore because so many of the games have come out and they're just so much better. You're just like, oh, if I played it at the time, it would be an enjoyable experience. Playing it four or five years down the line, it's uh, it you know it doesn't quite hold up now. It's like playing a PS3 game, you know, where when PS4 was like three four years, you know, into it, it's it's a totally different ball game. So there, obviously, you know, that's an issue as well um but what's your just a 
Oh, so just to add on, sometimes, again, I think this is also a sort of the, the downside to the industry at times, and I've been in here for a little while, but, you know, even the games, you look at games like Cyberpunk, where if you played that right out the gate, you probably potentially had a horrible experience, but now that, you know, they've they've patched it up and, <laughs> and all that stuff over numerous occasions, uh, you know, the reviews of and the play experiences seem to be much better, so it's... I think it's, uh, yeah, you might not want to wait, uh, you know, four or five years before you pick up a title, but uh, definitely giving it, uh, again, the unfortunate thing in the industry, uh, it seems at times where, you know, maybe picking it up day one isn't the best. Maybe you want to wait for that first patch or two uh, to come out and, and then your experience is a little better. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I definitely feel you with, again, the amount of titles that are out there and, and especially over, you know, as we got out of the pandemic where everything was coming out, it yeah. seems like new games are coming out constantly, but uh, there's always stuff to play. Yeah, there is. And especially when you sometimes want to just go back and play, because it's not just new games coming out, sometimes you just want to go back and play some old titles that you really enjoyed, or maybe because there's, you know, Jedi Survivor coming out next month, I've, you know, started Jedi Fallen Order again, I'm more than, uh, Mm. I'm not that far from the end now, so I'll get it completed in time, but like, you know, when you want to go back and play some games, I did it with Modern Warfare 2 as well, when that came out, I went back and played Modern Warfare, not, it wasn't, it was less of, oh, let me go over that again because Modern Warfare 2 is coming out. It was more, I really enjoyed playing it. Uh, I know I'm going to get a you know a fun experience because I know it was fun for me personally, but I'll also get a catch-up as well. So, you know, there is that. But there is one advantage of being in our situation where we have a backlog is that unless it's a game that we really, really, really want on launch, we can kind of say... You know, I'll wait a few weeks uh, or a week or two, see how the launch pans out because I'm busy with other games. I don't need this new game that's just come out. I've got plenty of the game to play. If the launch is smooth, everything's fine. They can be like, okay, I want to go ahead and, you know, get it on the weekend. Or you can say, okay, the launch hasn't been smooth. They've got frame rate issues. They've got, you know, crash issues, online issues, whatever it is. Let me, you know, wait it out a few weeks or maybe even a month or two because you've got other games to play so it can be advantageous and it can mean when you do you know grab it because you've was able to wait because you've just been busy and you've got all the games to play you actually get a good experience because like you just said people who buy cyberpunk now will have probably a more pleasant time than those that bought it on launch and that's definitely a good position to be in if you're willing to say, okay, I won't buy all the games on day one. And if you've already got a backlog, it doesn't make sense anyway. No, very true. And again, I, for me, again, I always look at, uh, you know, where the industry's gone with sort of those, you know, the day one patches that are basically mm. the, the, are basically the size of what the game is. You're kind of like down free downloading the whole game as a patch. Um, you know, I, I definitely miss the, the, the times where everything had to be on a disc and, you know... There was no it, patches. It had, it had to, be. to be perfect. And, you know, if it wasn't, the game wasn't released. I think now, um, you know, the industry is really seeing this, this thing where it's acceptable to be faulty out the gate to a certain extent or to, you know, 
push it through certification and then get that day one patch. Uh, so it kind of gives you some extra time to work on it. Um, but really you're just sort of correcting your mistakes <clears throat> or fixing bugs. So you have a decent experience. Uh, so I think, again, in a perfect world, we'd, we'd sort of hold ourselves as an industry to a higher standard to ensure that we're, we're hitting the mark right out the bat where it doesn't require a, uh, you know, such a large, uh, patch or, or update, um, at the get go. Cause I always look at, you know, uh, for those people who don't have it, oh, reliable internet is, you know, it's there in most of the world, but it's not in all cases. And, you know, I, I was living out, uh, just sort of slightly off the, the main network, uh, you know, in the country for a bit. And, uh, you know, I remember I had to go into, you know, my parents' place and say, Hey, I've got to go and, uh, you know, use your internet for a bit and download this patch. Cause mine's, you know, my current bandwidth where I am is incredibly slow and it's just not working. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think if we can strive as an industry to get to a point where we're not, uh, we're not requiring our users to, to really, you know, forego, a, you know, you're so excited to play the game and then, you know, it's another two hours for you to update it as soon as you get it. It's just kind of a letdown in my mind, but, uh, it is what it is. And, you know, it seems to be, uh, again, acceptable now, but, uh, definitely something that, that uh, I'd love for us to go back to and again, hold ourselves a little bit more accountable to, the high standards when it comes to you know releasing our titles oh yeah for sure and i totally agree the industry has got to that point where i mean it's been going to that point late ps3 like ps3 era was still especially in the early days you could buy the game put it in install it and be online and playing, you know, let's say Call of Duty Online, and you'll be able to go. Maybe, maybe like a small update, you'll have to wait a minute or two. Like that's where he was, and so that wasn't that big of a deal. Late PS3 kind of got to it, but then PS4 and PS5. Like when I buy a Call of Duty now, because I buy them on launch, I just say to myself, "There's a very high chance I'm not playing it on day one." <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like, like if I'm having to do, because like, sometimes it's, and especially. If, the update fails like i've had those issues where it's doing a 50 gig update and it gets to like 48 gig and it fails or mm. it, it does it and then they they just happen to release a new update because it's taken so long and then you need a new one to, uh, and the, and then you get all this issue where you know you have to have some sort of online connection just to play the single player campaign or you know be connected you know once for x amount of hours before you can you know actually play the single player and i'm like i just want to play single player fair enough i can't i just hit the mic sorry about that if you heard a big land bang if if i can't play multiplayer for a day that's why it's at the end of the world but let me play the single player that i've paid for as well and that is definitely a huge issue and like you're saying the industry as a whole needs to you know hold itself accountable and it, but it doesn't help obviously when a studio announces a game uh, everyone's excited and as a result they want to get it out there because you know the world knows about it now and if they you know they announce it they announce you know a certain date and that date's looming and you're like mm, have a we're not looking like we're going to hit it yet it's either you delay it and there's only so many you know 
time they can delay for the most part before you know it just you know people lose hope in it or you release it it's not the best and then you patch it and that's obviously you know a huge problem the other route is you can go down the route like Valve does. They don't really announce anything until it's pretty much done. Because when they announced Half-Life Alex, I remember seeing the release date and it was like, it was like a month or two later. I was like, at this point, the game's basically done then. Like, they're just wrapping up a few testing. It clearly were, you know, had they had been working on it for ages. Uh, but again, Valve is in, is in a different financial position where they can do that and they have a certain sort of, you know, ethos and mentality about it that they're not going to share it until they think it's actually ready at the game and less of an idea. Because the amount of times you see a game announced at E3 and the trailer is literally just the logo of the game and you're like, clearly you don't have much to show yet, but you're already announcing it. Yeah. No, it uh, it is definitely one of those things. And again, you know, even when it comes down to you know, it's that balance that uh, developers have with their stakeholders, with you know their publishers, IP holders, that hey, this is the window we want, and you know it's it's those tough conversations that you know I think um, we just need to get better at. So again, we we've it's slowly getting there. Again, we're not. I think the industry as a whole isn't, you know, crunching as much. Uh, I still believe it's it's a part of the industry and always will be. But, um, you know, the, I think they're doing a better job. But I still think, you know, some of those tough conversations to ensure that the user gets that experience that they want uh, or expect right out the gate, um, you know, should be something that we, we all look to uh, to hold ourselves accountable to. And, and especially again, like you said, with first player, uh, like our single player uh, campaigns or experiences, you know, they shouldn't have to be online, uh, at least not fully connected. Uh, again, if you need an update, sure. But, you know, I, I think as much as we want to track data and, and, and all that fun stuff, uh, which again, it does help uh, improve our games and, and all that stuff later on. Um, we do take away a lot from our users and I think we are, um, we are not supporting the, the play style that they particularly want. Um, you know, consoles, you know, they're, they're meant to be, you know, picked up and moved if you want. Um, you know, I remember younger taking, you know, my console up to the cottage, you know, for those rainy days or, you know, just moving it around from, you know, place to place. And, um, you know, you're not always connected. So it's uh, definitely one of those things where I think, you know, as you said, as you said, we should, we should look to address and, and hopefully we do uh, in the future. Yeah. And obviously the thing is us as consumers, we want bare graphics. We want bigger worlds. We want more, 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 more. That ultimately takes more space bar some, you know, major invention, in compression, I know they've done some compression stuff with PS5, but by something major, the obviously the game sizes are going to get bigger. Naturally, when a game size gets bigger, its update for something similar will also get bigger. So there is that, but unfortunately, the uh, the internet infrastructure, I mean, it's decent in a lot of the parts of the Western world, but it's still not quite there yet where i mean you can tell it's not quite there yet because streaming games 
has not picked off, no matter how much PlayStation tries to do, or NVIDIA, or, you know, whoever else is trying to do, you know, Google tried it with Stadia. Mm -hmm. It's the connection. I think a big part of it is just the connection issues, especially considering most people are trying to play wirelessly. If you're wired in with a good router and a decent connection, the experience isn't too bad. But obviously, that's not most people. You can't force people to wire in. They're going to go wireless. So that's obviously you know, part of it as well, but hopefully it does get better and we'll see. I think it'll be one of those things that we'll see, probably see an improvement in PS6 because in PS5, we saw a bunch of improvements that PS4 was lacking on and now I feel like they're just, you know, getting a swing of things and just getting titles out and just doing small improvements and I feel like they'll do another big batch of improvements for the PS, you know, the next generation of consoles. So, what video game are you looking forward to and what's your favorite video game of all time as well? Uh, I'll start with uh, my... Well, the one I'm looking forward to, again, just because my Batman fan is, is probably the, the Suicide Squad uh, from Rocksteady. Uh, the game that uh, I... Again, it... it sort of one of those experiences and it wasn't necessarily for the graphics although at the time they were great um but uh final fantasy 7 i'll always go back to that um you know it's the story uh the the play style it was just everything about that title uh i loved um you know i bought it was the first time i i had to buy the console uh for the game uh, i was a big sega guy um, before and I remember when when this came out and I saw the saw the trailers and I was like that's it I I gotta have this um, you know I spent countless hours playing it um, you know getting and it doesn't happen often but you know actually getting emotional and, and feeling something for the characters in certain scenes um, and then playing the you know I went and played the remake as well. Uh, or at least the first part of it. Uh, it was, uh, again, they took a different take, still enjoyable, you know, to relive, to step back into those, you know, those characters and uh, see a different take and a slightly different story. But, uh, you know, that's, it's those type of experiences that keep me in the industry. Um, you know, the fact that you can create something that, unlike a, unlike a book or a movie, um, you know, again, you're immersed in, you get all your senses, you know, sort of everything is touched on and, um, you can take those away and come back and play them again. And, you know, just like a book and just sort of seat back into that world. Um, but yeah, Final Fantasy seven, it was, uh, yeah, it was just one of those titles for me that, uh, you know, will always stick with me. Okay. Good stuff. And what's the best VR experience, in your opinion, for newbies and the best VR experience for VR veterans? Oi. Um, for, for newbies, you know, you really want to stick, and this is just a general, uh, I, I'm not going to say a title in particular, but just a general uh, the type of titles you should look at um, really should be ones that 
uh, you know, don't involve, you don't want to be moving around a lot. Like if you're just getting used to the experience and you don't know how you're going to feel, you know, in terms of, you know, just motion sickness and, and whatnot, I wouldn't jump into something where you're constantly having to move around a lot. Um, you know, so ideally, and not so much moving physically, but you know, where your characters, you know, if it's free roam or, and whatnot, and a lot of camera, camera movements, um, cause you want that, that first experience to be enjoyable. And, you know, if you come out of it being only be able to play for like 10 minutes and, and whatnot, and you, you know, you're sick or, you know, it's just not enjoyable. It's going to really distract or deter you from continuing with this platform. So games like, well, I guess I mentioned it, like super hot's really good, you know, for that first experience, you know, it is fully immersive. Uh, you don't have to move around a lot. Your body can, but you're not actually you're more or less standing still. Um, and in terms of like, um, if you're a veteran, uh, I know the new Resident Evil uh, Village, Resident Evil 8, whatever it's, it's supposed to be amazing. Again, I unfortunately I haven't played it. I played via or Resident Evil 4 remake. Which again was neat, neat take on that. Um, I can only play it. I can't be the you know use the free range camera, uh, unfortunately. But um, you know I think that with the latest titles, they've really gone above and beyond um, to ensure that that experience is very similar to the console. Um, yet again, you get all that immersion that comes with VR. Um, so yeah, I definitely stick, you know, do a slow entry into the, the VR space. Uh, there are a lot of games that, you know, again, get you into, get you immersed, um, you know, give you that uh, great experience um, and don't push you around a lot. Uh, so then you can slowly build up to that uh, free range camera and get yourself uh, just used to the experience and, uh, you know, being, the motion that, or the lack of motion, perceived motion that comes with it. Yeah, I mean, for sure. When you're playing game VR games for the first time, you don't want something like Resident Evil or probably the Alien game or Walking Dead. Even if you're a fan of VR, uh, I mean, a fan of horror games and those titles, you you want it to be a bit more easy. Like the f one of the things I love doing when people come around is and are kind of now going around other people as well because obviously with the quest you can take it with you is you know putting a vr headset on them even if they're a bit reluctant i find most people if they're not too old are open to the idea and then they love it once they get it on there is the title that i like showing them is that uh, you know that um can't remember that oculus one that i was talking about where you're in the caravan with the robot and you're just messing around with like balls and like guns and whatnot like that's a, a great one to, you know, play and then climb, even though you would think a climbing game where you when you're looking around and you can it looks like you're, you know, X amount of meters high. I find for new users it's definitely pretty friendly for them as long as they don't really you know get you know shaken by heights mm -hmm. the, the, they'll be all right and especially with climb two where you can there's like an easy mode on there where you don't have to chalk up or anything it really you know provides them 
level of accessibility that they can't with certain other games. And then there's so many other games, you know, Lone Echo, Half-Life Alex, probably even Horizon, and, you know, Creed, I'll say, is probably, in the, you know, in the middle level where, you know, you've got a bit used to it, uh, you run a bit more of an experience. And so, so newbie can try it if they've played a bit of VR, but then some of these good at VR can also enjoy it as well. So, yeah, it's definitely one of those ones you want to ease yourself into VR compared to other games. What's the most successful VR game that Servios has? Is it Creed? Oh, by far. Yeah. By far. <laughs> uh, I still I think the stats are maybe not not 50%, but you know, it's it's right up there where uh almost every other user has downloaded this game uh for their headset. So, um yeah, it's it'll probably always be that title. <laughs> so uh, it's just one of those things. Sometimes you you know you get lightning in a bottle, and uh, you get the right IP, right title, and uh, you know you're you set yourself up. So uh, yeah, it is it is Creed, um, and uh, you know I think uh, after that I think it was probably maybe might have been Walking Dead or, or Raw Data since it's been out for a, a long time and it was received quite well. Um, and Walking Dead, I think, solely just for the IP alone. Um, you know, everyone everyone likes their zombies. And, uh, you know, Walking Dead's really, you know, again, that name carries quite a bit. I know through my time with Telltale uh, and working on those games, um, you know, they're, they're beloved. That IP is, uh, you know, everyone, everyone wants to be a part of it uh, and, you know, have their own unique take on on the stories that unfold with it. So uh, it, it holds a lot of weight. Oh, yeah. Creed and Walking Dead, being able to step into those worlds that, you know, you see on the TV with Walking Dead and you see on, you know, the big screen at the cinema with, you know, the Creed movies. And like you were saying, if you're a fan of the Rocky movies as well, even if you're not the biggest fan of the Creed movies, just being a fan of the Rocky movies, being able to play, obviously, a good boxing game and then the fact that you know you can have some you know rocky characters in there as well so it's the scene that it definitely entices a lot of people compared to a game that's a totally new ip i can imagine you know aliens if servios pulls it off which i think it will just in terms of you know a fun game i can imagine that doing really well obviously it's a horror game so it's gonna you know have an element of like few people might stay away from it but Overall, I, I think that'll get a lot of attention. But yeah, I can see why Creed would be. And it's one of those ones where you can get a lot of fun from it if you're, you know, well-versed into VR. But it's it's pretty simple to get into. You know, you're just basically swinging your arms around. Obviously, there's a bit more to it than that. But there's not so many gameplay elements that you have to remember where you got to reload this, upgrade this weapon whilst you're, you know, playing, move this, move that. It's it's a pretty straightforward, you know, game to play. As a result, it's done really well. And the other nice thing too with, you know, you can get with, uh, well, definitely with Creed, you know, but uh, there's a lot of, a lot of benefits just for, you know, just physical activity. Like, you know, you do require, unlike, again, a console game 
um, you know, you do have to be active. You are asked to, you know, swing your arms, move up and down, move your body side to side. Like, um, there are other, other benefits, uh, which, you know, uh, even if you are not a, a true fan of, uh, of boxing, you can get out of, um, you know, this game, if you just want from a purely exercise standpoint, sharing training, you know, the training experiences that we have and, um, you know, other, uh, just general things within or experiences within VR, which again, for me, make the, um, the platform that much more exciting and, uh, the longevity of it, um, that I can see it again, continuing much past, even if, even if games went away, um, you know, the, the physical activity that you can get from these experiences, uh, can be quite, uh, quite high. Oh yeah, yeah. The experiences that you can get—it's totally different to playing. Let's say if Creed was, you know, just available normally, like you know, fight the fight night games or the UFC games. Now, yeah, they're fun, but you know, being in it—it's—it's it's like playing the Wii, but obviously you've got the, you know, the screens directly next to your eyes instead of being you know several feet away. So yeah, that experience is definitely on another level. And really, unlike <laughs> unlike the Wii, I think we've all, you know, once we learn the Wii tricks and you don't yes. have to make full arm movements and you can just move your wrist and, uh, you know, the the sweat that you build up while playing those games uh, when the Wii launched uh, versus, you know, you know, after you've been playing it for, you know, a year or so uh, are dramatically different. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I, I remember, you know, playing the you know tennis games, the boxing, but especially the tennis game on Wii Sports. You know, you would full on be swinging your arm, standing up, and then yeah. you realize you can sit down and, like you said, just swing your wrist. And yeah. I actually found it better. You know, you could do a faster <laughs> shot just like with a little flick because the motion was so much faster than doing the actual motion. Then they did bring out Wii Motion Plus, where you literally had to do the full motion and when you were so used to just the regular Wiimote, it felt a bit weird doing the motion plus because, you know, you couldn't, if you just flick your wrist in the game, you would just flick the wrist. So, yeah, yeah there was that. So having worked at Atlassian, what project management tips and techniques would you give to developers, especially game developers? And not just programmers, artists, you know, anyone, you know, within that sort of space. Uh, yeah, so we're not actually directly working with Lassian, but I do, uh, so I do, uh, have a little side, a side thing where I, I go in and, um, you know, I, I work with, uh, game companies and other tech companies to sort of set up Lassian products. I've been using Lassian, uh, for probably close to 20 years now. Jesus. Um, and, and really when it, it comes to that particular software, it, it has almost, well, it has become an industry standard uh, within the games industry. And um, my big philosophy for using that suite of tools is making it as, as interchangeable as possible and ensuring that the information found within JIRA is also found within Confluence and uh, you're using Confluence as your source of truth um, for all projects and, and just documentation sharing and just um, you know, team communication, you know, as, as well as, again, it integrates seamlessly with uh, pretty much any piece of software that you want. 
um, you know, it really is an advantage to uh, a studio to, to use it. And me, because I've, you know, I've run companies before and um, I've managed budgets and stuff like that. The, with Elassian and, and the suite of project or tools, and um, you really can mitigate the number of, of unique tools that you use because um, it, it can do quite a bit uh, out of the box and even with uh, various plugins. So, um, you know, my big thing is, is, you know, when you're setting these things up, you need, it needs to be user friendly. Uh, so you want to make sure you're, you're setting up um, your workflows that are, are understandable. They're, um, they're easily transferable from project to project and, and you're not reinventing the wheel constantly. So you, you really need to ensure that you're, you're setting up a pipeline and a process that's going to be um, one tweaked as, as things come up, um, but definitely one that can last the t uh, kind of stand the test of time um, within your project or organization. Um, and again, it's it's all about um, highlighting important things. Uh, you know, don't bury things. Um, you know, I, regardless of what kind of methodology you want to use, uh, you know, waterfall, you know, full agile, Kanban, lean, um, you know, whatever buzzwords you want to use, a mix of the, a mix of any of those. Um, you, you need to be tailoring it to the to your team. Uh, that's so important. I think you know, as a as a leader, as a manager, um, having too much red tape, having something that you know your devs don't understand, uh, it's it's just pointless. Uh, causes lots of frustration. Um, and you just need to be flexible. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I think a lot of people get it in their head that, you know, there's this one project management style or technique or software, you know, that you can use and you'll be the best always. It might not work for you, might not work for your team. The project that you're, you know, particularly doing right now, you know, might be different to the one that you previously did. So, you know, you have to, you know, adapt. And there's nothing wrong with, Know, changing tools or changing styles or using some sort of hybrid approach just because everyone else happens to be using this new project management style which is you know you know shiny and new and everyone seems to be jumping onto it doesn't mean you know you have to just for the sake of it especially when you're already mid project and it seems to be working well there's no need to you know uh you know just change all of it mid project and everyone's having to learn new stuff so you know just do what works and the most important thing is actually you know take action because if you're constantly getting to that phase where you're just trying to find the best software switching from this one to this one you know i i know i've been guilty of this before as well especially doing my own projects you kind of think oh you know i, I i'll just try and optimize this try and optimize this and then you think like the whole goal of this project was to let's say make a game and right now i'm just arguing with myself over you know which project management software to you know use ultimately getting somewhere with the game by just making a few notes on paper and ticking it off is much better than having you know trello or jira or you know whatever software like monday.com you know nailed down for me or my team so yeah action over anything else is the most important uh, but obviously you know leveraging these tools is also good as well Oh, I completely agree. And, you know, 
I much like you know what you're saying there. I I don't like jumping on on the new and shiny. Um, you know, they might have something really cool, but uh, again, if you've got an established process, then um, you know you don't need to to constantly be looking for something you know new and and even with just through development as well. I know a lot of people get um, you know I've been in in these situations where you know you're you have a plan you have a design that you really like and then a new title comes out that has something slightly different and you're like oh this is awesome we need to include it in our game and i'm like that's not always the right path um you know you really need to evaluate every step you take uh to sure to ensure that it's the right one for your project um whether again it's on the management side or it's actually in development um jumping to the latest and greatest um isn't the best and, and especially now with you know with the new engine we have unreal 5 uh you know i know most people are making the switch now but you know if you are on unreal 4 and i know when, during those transitions you know you really have to weigh in the pros and cons about switching to you know again that new engine or whatever is your game going to work fine with, you know, potentially older tech, you know, is the user going to get a good experience? Um, so it's really all about weighing those, um, those finer points and ensuring again, that you don't have as much disruption or limit the disruption, uh, on your project as best you can. Uh, and again, whether it's an engine for the game or again, your random tools, as you said, uh, anything that you can ensure, anything you can do to ensure your team um has a a worry-free and a stress-free uh development cycle uh is really what you're you're looking to do <laughs> oh yeah definitely because you've also got to look at it like do you even need that new you know version of the engine it, like sometimes you don't even really need it or there's some work around for some you know certain stuff that you can just do with your game as well, because like you know, I've had a qu this question a lot from people because I make you know programming tutorials on YouTube. I've done programming teaching in person, and you know, people always ask me like, what's the best way to update you know the engine or framework or software mid development? And I always say, unless you really need to, like, let's say if the version of the engine that you're using is broken fundamentally for what you need, and it's it's actually going to be easier to do an upgrade than upgrade otherwise just leave it like does it unless you've literally just started out an hour ago and they release an update uh, and then you're like okay you know i'll just update to the latest version otherwise if you're halfway through uh, and there's no actual need don't update it you know wait till either you need to do an update in the game and maybe set aside some time to port it over and see if it works or better yeah for a new title for example do it then because especially if you're doing that from the ground up you can learn you know the new engine as you're going along with that so yeah there's no need to upgrade unless you really have a you know a, a real reason for it and i know a lot of people do want to just upgrade because they want to be on the latest and ultimately that won't serve your project as well as just getting the title shipped to a high standard with the engine you're using if you're already in mid-development so did you go to university if so what did you study uh so my path was uh 
a little interesting. So I did, uh, I started out, I went to school for uh, business, marketing and economics and all that fun stuff. And uh, truly did not like that. Um, and then uh, from there, I went into computer science, um, kind of graduated at the height of the, the dot-com kind of bubble burst where there was like, ooh, good luck trying to find a job. Um, and then kind of stumbled in on, uh, into the industry by uh, the art route. Uh, so it's just something I had done uh, on the side, completely self-taught. And lo and behold, uh, I was an artist uh, at the beginning of my career for uh, up until the, my switch over to production. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, regardless of, you know, where you went to school, especially in this industry, um, it's really important to stay on top of, you know, uh, the emerging tech and, uh, and languages that, uh, you know, come out, you know, it used to be all about Lua and then it's Python and then, you know, it's, it's C and C plus and C sharp and Java and all those other fun things. Like it's, um, and then even on the art side, uh, all the different, uh, modeling packages, uh, you know, it is, it can be daunting, but uh, unlike, you know, you know, certain industries, this is one where um, it is really important that you, um, you know, what's out there, you're staying current um, to ensure that you, you know, you can take advantages of all the, uh, the things that are coming out and um, you can, again, further uh, your your project and your longevity within uh, this particular industry. Oh yeah, definitely. So, uh, like, w what we haven't really, you know, discussed. We've been talking so much about VR gaming and different games and all that sort of stuff and tech. Like, what do you specifically do at Servios? Uh, so I'm product manager, uh, or senior producer. So I used I was looking after the uh, gameplay team, uh, so managing numerous small teams and in, in the creation of, of features. Uh, I also, you know, established a lot of their their workflows uh, within within Jira. Um, that's sort of how I, I got in in with Servios is doing that on the side and then eventually moving uh, full time uh, with their studio. But um, yeah, I've. You know that's sort of been my my thing for the last you know little while is is really just you know production and, and project management, um, you know just ensuring that the team is able to you know work as best they can that you know the red tape is cleared and um, you know we I I kind of look at it as you know if we if we could all talk and communicate in an effective manner you probably wouldn't need you know, production, but unfortunately that's not always the case. Uh, so, you know, production is, in the, is there to really make sure that, uh, you know, the ship is, is going in the right direction and, um, you know, anything that we're not hitting the icebergs that, uh, you know, pop up from time to time uh, during a development cycle. Uh, but it, it's, it's fun work. Um, you know, you really need to be sort of that, people person and a good communicator and uh you know, be able to listen you know i think uh it's it's important for a leader to 
or, or manager, regardless of it's in production or just, you know, a development type lead, or if you're in that position, uh, to ensure that you are taking the back seat and, you know, that your team comes first and uh, you're really pushing their agenda uh, over yours. And, and obviously you need to make sure that, uh, you know, your project is, is healthy and successful. But, uh, you know, I always go back to uh, the mandate that the team is the most important thing. Um, and without a happy team, uh, you know, you're not going to have a successful project. Um, and you won't won't be able to grow as a, as a company. Uh, you see time and time again where, you know, people kind of stay for the IP or the particular project. But, you know, if they go through a huge crunch period or, you know, it becomes the, the working environment becomes, you know, a little toxic or, um, you know, it's not ideal, you lose that, you lose that talent. Um, and it's tough for a company to constantly be bringing in new people and, um, you know, you lose that, that wealth of knowledge that you had. Um, and then you constantly make those same mistakes again and again. Um, from project to project, because you're not able to maintain that um, that knowledge base as you know your previous projects, you know either had too many you know bumps in the road or you know it wasn't managed the the right way. Um, so again, you, you have to start over. So I think that's again why I always look look at my role is it is always team first. Um, you know then then project and my my needs uh, will always come at, at the very bottom. I will gladly give up my chair uh, for someone else uh, to ensure that they are able to do their job um, more efficiently uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, you said something interesting that you don't think in an ideal world there's a need for production. So are you saying that if, you know, everything was all in line, all the different people, the developers, the artists, sound engineers, all that sort of stuff, the narrative designers, etc. you know, was able to communicate and collaborate effectively, your job wouldn't be around or wouldn't be required. Uh, am I correct to say that? I say it wouldn't be as, as required, definitely, because okay. a lot of a lot of my job is is really facilitating conversations, ensuring that, you know, we are on track and ensuring that, you know, the right people know um, what's going on and, and communicating that up or sideways or down. But ultimately what I, I've noticed is that it really comes down to, you know, there's, everyone's really busy. They're all focused on their one particular thing and you lose without that production layer and um, you lose some of that, that communication because you get so siloed into what you're doing uh, where you don't have that, you know, 100 foot or 1000 foot view of, you know, the project, um, which again, that is ultimately the job of production is to have that, you know, that view and, and kind of know where to, to pivot and how to bring people together. But if we could just, you know, come together and, and talk, um, you know, a lot of that role goes away where you can have those conversations if, you know, you are more diligent. Um, and that's where I think you see it isn't until, you know, a company gets large that production starts becoming more important where those communication channels break down 
Um, and, you know, there is more of a need to, um, to have someone separate uh, from the dev team to, to help manage that and, and coordinate a lot of that work. Um, but again, a startup isn't going to initially hire, oh, the, the first thing I need is production. That's definitely going to come, you know, much later. You're going to want the, the talent first. Um, and then as you grow and as things come become a little more challenging in terms of communication, then you start bringing in uh, production. So uh, that's just where again, I see it. Again, obviously, there's a lot more to our roles. But, you know, the big thing for me is, you know, is, is always been communication. Uh, and I see that a lot where, you know, the, the things that the companies or companies are lacking the most in is is that structure is, you know, good communication amongst teams, uh, amongst individuals, management. Um, and that's really where production comes in. But like I said, if we could, we could find a way to continue to maintain the communication that we had when we were, you know, a five to 10 team, um, it wouldn't be, you know, as needed of a role or discipline uh, once we got up to, you know, hundreds uh, of developers. Yeah, and I, th I think it's one of those things that a lot of people like to discuss, uh, you know, as you know, sort of like mid, you know, management sort of areas as almost irrelevant or they don't, you know, aren't required. The, yes, there's plenty of companies out there that have managers, producers that provide little to almost negative value to their company but a good one can provide a lot of value because it's you know it's interesting what you just said that you know when when you're at the size of like five maybe ten people it's not that you know that necessary it's like hr isn't that necessary when you're at that size however when you get bigger you you know you need to do certain things a certain way plus because you know you become a larger company you have to abide by certain laws and as a result you'll need certain people in place even if you're not you know there in you know to make sure those law those laws are you know kept up just being there to help that flow of communication can prevent something major from going wrong because you know let's say if you're, you've got two teams that are communicating with each other and if something you know, the, uh, some sort of disagreement happens, if that becomes, let's say, really toxic, that can be a really troubling situation for the company. Whereas if you've they've got you in the middle to kind of alleviate any tensions, that helps a lot. If there's a couple of people, you know, working uh, at home making a game, if, let's say, a couple of friends have an argument, nobody's going to really care unless they start beating each other up. So the... the there, there does get to a point, you know, in a company size, it is just, you know, important. And it's like, you know, if you've got a startup of two, three people, you're probably not going to have, uh, you know, recruiters. But then, you know, Google will have, a, a, like, just on LinkedIn, I'll, I'll see loads of recruiters that are, like, actually work at Google. And I'm like, they've got just this many recruiters. Forget about engineers, testers, 
managers, executives, they're, they're just literally recruiters. They're not even HR per se. They may have been a HR at one point, but their dedicated job is just recruiting for Google and all of its, you know, you know, subsidiaries, etc. So yeah, it does get to a point where you kind of have to have some of these other stuff. It's like legal, you know, when you're one, two person band, you're probably not, you know, that fussed about getting a lawyer really. Uh, but when you get to a 50 or a hundred people or more, then you're like, okay, you're, you need to do, you know, you, you need to get the legal side, you need to get the accounting side. Obviously, you need producers, you need managers, you need this, 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 this. So it's, it, I think it's one of those inevitable things is just making sure that, you know, you do provide value to the company. I mean, it sounds like you take your job seriously and, you know, when you were saying that you're willing to take a back seat so the people that are, let's say, on the ground making the game can actually, you know, do their job that's when you know a producer is good instead of because i met people in that sort of position or management position where they make it all about themselves and they get illusions of grandeur and like thinking they're doing more than they're actually doing not realizing their role is important but it's they're not coding it or they're not doing this or that uh just you know realizing what you're doing is important but it is still restricted within this sort of you know domain of obviously management oh i completely agree and you know i the biggest praise i guess you know for me is uh you know when a project's done and, and people are like geez i don't even know what uh you know it was it seemed to go really well and i don't really know what uh you know what jeff did but um you know it's because uh, there's a lot of red tape when you get to that you know when you're dealing with that you know in production or management leadership and uh you know again i think a good a good leader alleviates that uh and hides that from uh from the team so they can do their job and you know anyone that you know that kind of manages from that ivory tower or you know from up high where it's just they're they're throwing orders down or direction down without really communicating with the team is um i just think it's a it's a missed opportunity uh and and that's why you know i approach you know my job is you know i just want to be one on the team i i don't need an office you know i want to be you know sort of in the pit with everybody and, and kind of hear what's going on so you can tackle those challenges as, as soon as they come up and you kind of you have that gut feeling about yeah i think we're in a good spot or you know what maybe we're you know from the air in the room maybe we're deviating uh to a place we don't want to go and you know maybe i can go in there and, and kind of poke around and see what's going on to to help uh ensure that you know we get back on track and that we're um you know removing any blockers that the team might have but it is is really a bunch of different flavors within this role and again i think it's um you know as you said it it, it gets a bad rap at times um again it's not always needed at the beginning uh again it can be invaluable when you get to a certain size um but it, it's really up to the individual up to the leader um to make the most out of it and ensure that the team sees value. Oh yeah, definitely. So on your LinkedIn, a skill that you've got or that's listed on a bunch of your roles is change management. What does that mean specifically? 
Uh, so really, it's just about the process of, you know, how you integrate uh, new things, um, you know, new processes, you know, you're, you're, again, when you're upgrading an engine and you're changing a new you know, work process, it's all about how that is taken care of. Um, and the way I look at it is, you know, small changes, you want to make sure that you're uh, you're getting as much adoption as possible, that you're doing your, you know, all those checks and balances uh, with the team to ensure that the what you're what you're moving to is done in in a way that is um, as undisruptive as possible. Uh, and it, it's it can be because change, you know, people don't deal deal well with change. Uh, at least most of us. Uh, some people are fine. Uh, <laughs> you know, they fly by the seat of the pants, no problem. But most of us get set in our ways and we really like doing things a certain way. And when someone comes in and says, no, nope, we got to go and, and do this, um, it can be disruptive and, you know, feathers are ruffled and, oh, why are we doing this and doing that? And um, So the way I look at it is it's, it's really important to, you know, make these changes as, as slow and calculated as possible so you uh, ensure the disruption is kept to a minimum that you are clearly documenting, you know, from what it was to what it is, why we're doing these things, uh, lots of examples, lots of, you know, handholding to ensure that, you know, everyone's comfortable um, with those, uh, the steps we're taking uh, in this new process. And then again, you need to have that um, humility that, hey, even after all of the due diligence we did about looking to find a, you know, a new process or a new tool or whatever it is, we might have made a misstep. And even after you've improved, like you put in this change and you know, we've, we've launched it, we're all good. You have to be willing to say, hey, okay, I, this might not have been right or I need to tweak it even after it's been launched to ensure that again, we're getting the most out of it now that it's in practice. Um, but that's really what, you know, that, you know, that's all about is, is just ensuring that, uh, you know, any changes that are done within your, uh, within your project, within your company are handled in such a way that, uh, makes sense and is easily adopted by the team. Oh yeah, for sure. Like making sure it's as you know those transitions are as smooth as possible because that's the last thing you want is those changes to occur and then that to just halt development ruin you know morale and just the overall process so yeah that's definitely not what you want so what's your biggest regret in your journey so far in your career and what on top of that what advice would you give to others that are looking to you know to break into the gaming industry do something similar uh let's see my biggest regret um you know i i i think my my biggest regret was probably i i miss i miss sticking with the art uh i'm you know i do start art in the side and, and all that but um i think looking back in a perfect world, you know, maybe I, I attempted to stick with art a little bit longer. I do really enjoy creating the pretty picture. Um, <laughs> you know, I, 
there is, you know, one thing from a tech side, you know, you're, you're programming things and you're bringing something to life and the problem solving and, and all that. And I really enjoyed that as well, but there's just something about making that pretty picture and, and seeing people get excited about, you know, the visuals that you create, um, you know, that is, that is very rewarding, um, outside of, I think what I got from, you know, actually programming. Uh, or the engineering side, and then even from the the, the project management side, where again, I, I I love, you know, when a project is done and it's successful, and the team is super proud of it, and you know, we've hit our quality bar and, and all that fun stuff. That you know, I get lots of enjoyment out of that. But that's more of definitely on the team side. But from a personal standpoint, it's it's you know, I've always liked creating that uh, the visuals, um, and then. It, as you're looking to step into the industry, it's one of those things where, and it's, it's kind of, it's, well, it's much like all industries, but more so, I think, in the games industry, we are a very small uh, community and, and close knit. You know, you see that with all the, you know, the layoffs that have, have happened recently, where you know all the companies kind of come together, and and really, um, you're looking out for you know, each other and, and finding new roles um, and, and supporting our, our transitions when, you know, they happen. So it's, you have to not be afraid to start at the bottom. And, you know, I look at, you know, that where, you know, some people coming out of, you know, school or they have these aspirations of, oh my gosh, I'm going to be this, you know, I'm going to be a game designer right off the bat, or I'm going to be this, you know, senior 3D artist and do all this, you know, amazing stuff. But yeah, you need to learn and you need to, you know, accept the fact that there is sort of this learning curve that you have to do. And I think trying to get as much information about the industry as possible and and as many facets of the industry is really the way to go. Uh, again, always continue to learn uh, and look at the new technologies that are coming out, uh, get experience with them. Uh, you know, if you are on the engineering side, you know, start, you know, download the Unity engine, download Unreal, start, you know, experimenting, um, you know, make little pilot projects for yourself where you're doing the um you know the engineering and the coding and you know you're designing something and um try to recreate you know maybe a, your favorite small game <laughs> um and and kind of show what you can do because it's not always about um what school you went to um you know a lot of the times it's show me what you can do um you know I want to see your portfolio. I want to see your demos. I want to see this and that. Um, and that goes a long way in this industry. Um, you know, it helps if you know someone to get your foot in the door. But, um, you know, if you are lucky enough to be in locations where you can go to conferences and, and stuff like that and, and check out, um, you know, recruitment sites uh, or, or meet and greets, uh, if it within your local community, if there's sort of like a, you know, an indie game, uh, you know, hub, then get in that, uh, you know, get involved in that and, and get to know people within, you know, like-minded people within, you know, the industry or in the space and, 
and come together and, and build whatever or, um, you know, just continue to create. Uh, and then again, take that and, and, and put it online and, and show it to people as you can, as much as you can. Because um, for me, when I look to hire people, it's not so much, obviously you have to be talented in what you want to do, but it's the initiative in my mind that drives and the initiative and passion that drives this industry forward. Um, you know, we are a very passionate group. Um, we, we want, you know, we want to create these amazing immersive experiences, but you need to have, you know, be willing to sacrifice, you know, a little something to get it. Um, and that's what I look for. So if, if there's ways that you can, can do that again, whether it's doing stuff on your own or again, going to these meet and greets and kind of taking a part in, in the community, um, uh, just getting your name out there. Uh, that's where I would, I would really push people, um, again, and, and you might have to start, you know, in QA or as a junior something or do a, an internship and, you know, slowly work your way up, um, get to know people, uh, and then start your career. And then, you know, once you're in it and my, my resume is a perfect example of this, it is a volatile industry and you have to be, um, you have to understand that I know for, you know, my parents, like they were teachers, they are a, you know, as stable a career as possible. And, you know, the first time, you know, I lost, you know, I was laid off, uh, due to, a an acquisition. Um, they're like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is horrible. What are you going to do? And it's tough that first time. Um, but you really need to understand that it is a part of the business and, you got to be willing to move. Um, you got to be willing to go back into the office because, you know, it seems to be that's the, the kind of the, the way things are going back to, at least in a hybrid role. Um, but if you want to be in this industry, again, for me, it, it's all about showing that passion. It's being uh, willing to uh, do what it takes uh, to succeed uh, and, and just show initiative. Oh, yeah. I mean, I like your points about, you know, you might have, you know, this idea that you want to, you know, be at this level, be at the position doing this. And, you know, good to have those goals. But you got to remember that, you know, you want to get to the top of the ladder. That's basically your goal, whatever your goal is, high or low. But the reason ladder has rungs on it, you, you need to climb that ladder. You can't just do that full jump. Sometimes you might be able to jump a couple of steps. But realistically, you're not going to go from having no experience to being a producer or, or an executive or, you know, something like that in an established company. And I like that you were saying that, you know, let's say if you make, you've got an interest in making games, for example, try and make a game, like a copy of something that's already, you know, exists, you know, whether it's Pong or whether it's Flappy Bird, let's say if you're making mobile stuff, there's nothing wrong with that because you'll learn a lot about game development, about project management, especially if you create a clone, you change it a bit and you publish it as well, let's say for free, you'll learn about publishing because just, I know uh, there's been people that I know that have made some games and I remember because I've probably some asked before and i was trying to give them advice on the publishing side of it 
not in terms of making it successful, just in terms of dealing with, you know, the Google Play Store, iOS Store. I, I was like, there's some complexities around that. Uh, and they were, they basically wasn't listening. They were just saying, you know, the hardest part is making the game. Once you've done that, you just publish it. And then they realized, no, you don't just publish it. And it's partly because these platforms you know don't make it that easy like yes there's problems with it but those problems you have to deal with and you know you'll learn though you'll overcome those issues if you you know go through it with a title that you're just copying like a snake clone or whatever it is you'll learn about stuff you learn which engine you like which framework or however it is and then you can go on to your next project and uh, like so yeah, you know, start small, build up your portfolio, whether you're doing your own thing or whether you're, you know, want to work for others. That's, you know, my best advice. And that's, you know, you know, what Jeff is saying as well. So good stuff. Uh, I've got some fun generic questions before we wrap up because the more specific ones based around what you do or done. So the first one, would you rather run a 10 person company or a 1000 person company and why? Uh, 10 person, uh, every day. Uh, okay. so for me, um, the, I'd love working in, in small teams. You know, I like the, that sense of family that you get with a small team, that sense of camaraderie, uh, you know, you're all in it together, uh, and you can build that bond with a small team. Uh, the problem you get with those, you know, those massive studios is, you know, people become siloed, you know, that whole, they don't get that sense of ownership per se um, over a certain feature because there's so many people doing it. It's like, oh, you're just touching this tiny little piece. And then, you know, you don't see the big picture at times where when you're on a small team, it is, you all have to pull your weight. You know, if someone isn't doing their job, isn't, you know, uh, it's noticed um it has a huge detriment to the to the product as a whole um and it's it's just one of those things where i feel it is such a rewarding experience to to come together um as a group and put something out that you're passionate about uh and i just i don't think you can get that with uh a large, you know, thousand plus person, whatever, multiple hundred, you know, plus team. Again, you can make some great things for from scale, uh, and you can ultimately be proud of that your name's associated with it. But it's those little things that, um, it's there's too many things that I think you have too much dead weight or too much, you know, inefficiencies within uh, an organization or a team that size that you don't get with that small team. Oh yeah, definitely. And I would also say it depends on what's more important to you to an extent, like uh, outward scorecard or inward scorecard. Because if it's more outward and what people think of you, then, you know, you saying that you worked on the, you know, the latest Call of Duty or the latest Star Wars game, the latest, you know, VR, you know, huge game Creed is more impressive to people than saying that you worked on this sim simple mobile game with a couple of friends that you know may be doing well but obviously doesn't look as impressive so if you if you have an outward scorecard i think working on some of these big projects 
can be beneficial to you. If you have a more inward scorecard, I think working on the smaller projects can be beneficial to you as well. Now, what I would also say is just because you might want to work in a small company now or with a small team doesn't mean that can't change in the future. You know, be open to that change and vice versa. I know people that worked in huge companies and then they made a shift when the time was right for them and they're doing their own thing now and they're, you know, very, very happy. But outwardly, if you saw them, you'd be like, okay, they're working at, you know, the largest company in that industry in the world. There's the way you're going to go from there, maybe some other large company. But no, they quit that and they just went, you know, did their own thing. So, you know, be open to the possibility of going from, you know, one to the other as well. Oh, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think, you know, even going back to, you know, new people in the industry, they get all excited and they want to work on Call of Duty. They want to mm. work on, you know, work at Blizzard and and all that and Valve and all those things. But like, those are unique challenges as well. And again, um, you know, you, you, they come with a lot of, you know, a lot of overhead that smaller teams or smaller, you know, those small projects that you maybe not might not be as interested uh, in on the onset, you can really, again, gain a ton of experience uh, and they be can become one of your favorite, you know, uh, titles. Like I, I've worked on Halo, I've worked on Bioshock and, you know, a lot of big IPs, but I always go back to my favorite game and project was this tiny little Game Boy Advance game uh, called Atomic Betty. And, you know, a small, I think, eight-person team and, you know, a Canadian cartoon show that, you know, we had the IP rights to, to you know, and it did quite well. And again, we, we loved our experience with it, but it wasn't as sexy as, as working on those big AAA uh, IPs and, and, you know, you just have to be willing to find the joy in whatever projects you're working on. Yeah, and you know, understanding that what you're going to be doing in a big project versus a small project, obviously, depend especially if you're starting off, is going to be totally different. If you're working on this latest new Call of Duty or Fortnite or whatever, you're going to be doing a small thing and not having that much say, you know, in the overall direction, where, you know, little to no say. Whereas if you're doing your own thing, you have a lot of say in, you know, what's happening, but you obviously there's a lot of risk as well, because, you know, I've had people, you know, say they, you know, they want to work for this big company, and I'm like, I don't think you necessarily do. I, I, I think you more just like the idea of saying, you know, I work for Google, uh, because ultimately, like, what, like it maybe there's if there's a specific product and maybe you you really admire Google with Gmail and you want to work on the Gmail team. I think that's a bit different. But you know, just saying you want to work at Google or you want to work at Xbox is a very you know broad statement and you know be willing to work at you know one of the smaller lesser known companies and sometimes the pay is better <laughs> the, <laughs> the, in some of these lesser known companies. Don't get me wrong, some of the behemoths especially in Silicon Valley, they pay well. But, you know, sometimes I see big companies and they'll be in London and then I'll see a company I've never heard of. It'll be in a town that you wouldn't immediately think. And I'm like, their salary is pretty decent. Uh, and I'm like, and if you're living there, for example, you've got less, you know, bills and rent because, you know, versus London, for example, or some other major city. So, you know, don't, you know, close that 
option off for the smaller companies just because you know you want to work for the big one sometimes you might get a better position financially in terms of responsibility in terms of managers as well then you might get at one of the bigger ones so yeah be you know be open to it but again if you really want to work on one of the bigger ones go for it you might actually really enjoy it that might be your jam yeah oh, yeah wholeheartedly agree it's uh you know to each his own uh again I, i've seen a lot of uh you know veteran people come down to you know smaller studios because they're tired of the you know tired of the rat race that is doing uh you know those big massive triple a titles um you know they're, they're fun of the time but sometimes you just want to just be creative make a game and not deal with all the politics that comes with uh triple a development oh yeah definitely for sure so would you uh, rather have five million up front or half a million a year for the rest of your life and why let's say because you're in canada let's say Canadian dollars because I don't think they're that much different to US dollars. Yeah, it's 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 enough. <laughs> uh, you know, I take the uh, I take the overtime. Uh, you know, for me, um, I would I, I like I think I'm decent uh, with my finances. Uh, but you know, having that large chunk of cash up front, uh, you know. There, you might regret uh, one or two of those purchases, uh, and um, you know I think over time, you know through investing, through you know knowing that this is a secure source of income that you're going to have, uh, will definitely allow, will set you up better for the future, um, and you know especially when I look at even just look at from the management side of things, um, you know if I was um, I always, I always like to prove myself, uh, you know, as much as, you know, if I'm starting a project, I definitely like to have an upfront investment. Um, but I definitely do, um, want to make sure that, you know, we're, we're secure. And again, I prove myself over time. So, you know, you, you have this, you know, small set of funds, you, you know, you created a, a great little prototype experience and then you push it forward and then you know you get more money and you evolve it um and i think it makes it just easier for for planning in general uh and i just like the security over uh you know that again a, a stable source of income yeah, fair enough so favorite board game favorite board game uh um I, I'm a huge, uh, it's been a little while since I've uh, played. I was a huge risk uh, fan. Uh, when I was younger, I used to play uh, constantly. Um, and then Settlers of Catan, I think. Yeah, big fan of that as well. My brother turned me on to that uh, and uh, really got into that. Uh, and then another one, uh, on sort of the a lighter D and D side, a game called Heroes Quest, which I think they just did a maybe last year, or the year before, they did a relaunch of it, but um, very similar to D and D, but everything it's uh, all contained in one kit, uh, so you don't really have to go in and, and do the huge heavy investing you, you do with uh, with D and D at times. <clears throat> uh, so those are probably my three. Uh, 
but uh, yeah, board games are always fun. Uh, you know, especially you know for you know us in Canada, we're we're big cottage goers. So you know, if you uh, those rainy nights, the uh, rainy days, and you know, crack open a board game around the the cottage table uh, is is always a go to. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, I haven't heard of that one. Heroes Quest. I will have a Google and walk down to YouTube after we've done the podcast to you know have a look, see what it's like. It sounds interesting. A lot of people on the podcast uh, do mention Risk and Catan as well. Like, uh, I'd say most people that I ask the question, they've said Risk or Catan or both. <laughs> like, you seems to be very popular. I o- I only discovered Risk and Catan just a few years ago and i haven't played it that much i do want to play it some more I, I find that i think that every time i did play it with my wife and you know a couple of other people i think we weren't following the rules properly anyway i think it's just because we haven't played it that much and we need to you know just play it a bit more but i did enjoy it so definitely would like to play it again me and my wife enjoyed playing Catan VR as well. Uh, we found that fun. I remember we would play Catan and then another one because with Catan VR you can have because you know, it's a video game you can have like an AI player instead of just having two people on the board game, which isn't the best experience. You want like three, four people. We can have one or two people, you know, as AI, and so like we would be literally like sitting on our bed. And we both have a VR headset on and we would be playing uh, Catan. So that was a fun experience. It's been a while since I played the VR version, but probably something I'm going to, you know, check out again. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm de- I'll check out that Heroes Quest that you mentioned as well. So, does, so this is the last and final question. Love asking everyone this. Does money buy you happiness and why? And on top of that, what does a good life mean to you? uh money just not buy you happiness it definitely buys uh you some you know some obviously some luxuries and some you know surface level happiness but you know in the end you know i'd much rather i'm more content with you know i'd be content more content with you know a little less money but you know being in a place that um you know i enjoy you know if it's a work it's a place that i enjoy working or coming to every day you know, that we are committed as a team to doing what's right and what's best. And, um, you know, we got a great bunch of colleagues. Uh, so definitely money is not, uh, definitely money is not everything. Um, and it's really important. Again, I think that you, uh, I, I think there's not enough people that realize that, uh, you know, cause you're always looking for the next biggest paycheck or, you know, the, um, and then again, with that, you know, you get yourself into interesting situations that you might not have liked, you know, uh, again, big companies can pay a little bit more, but you know, it might not be the situation that's right for you. Um, so it's, it's really important for you to, uh, to pick the, the right path and, and again, understand that money is not all. Uh, and so what was, I missed the last part. Yeah. What does a good life mean oh, to you? Life, yes. So for me, you know, I, I just, and I, I strive for this. I want to, you know, make sure that, you know, I wake up every day and, um, I have, you know, something I'm looking forward to, 
uh, whether, and it can be something small, like just, hey, seeing a particular person, going for a hike, you know, walking the dog, and it just, you know, always make sure that you have something to look forward to each and every day. And then, you know, more importantly, when it comes to your job, um, again, you gotta like where you work, you gotta be passionate about, you know, some aspect of it that's going to drive you forward um, on a day to day basis and, and something that is going to push you to be the best that you can. Um, you know, I always look to challenge myself, um, you know, as much as possible throughout, um, you know, my day throughout a project, um, throughout the year. Um, you know, it's, I think that's how you grow as a, an individual. I think that's how you maintain a, a healthy and happy life by, you know, ensuring that, you know, you do have a few obstacles that you need to overcome. Uh, I, I think if you live one of those solitary lives where everything's perfect, it, I, I truly believe you're not going to be as fulfilled as, you know, as if you've had a few, you know, I'm not saying horrific challenges or obstacles to overcome, but you know, you, you experience a little bit of, of life that isn't as, as, you know, rainbows and butterflies. Um, you know, again, I think lived experiences, um, are essential to, uh, you know, a person's health and growth, um, throughout their life. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I second that. Having some challenges, some adversity. Obviously, you got to get that balance between it being too easy and it's not really a challenge and it being so hard that it either destroys you mentally or physically and just breaks you down. Yeah, you got to have some barriers that you're trying to overcome. And you get those barriers naturally if you're just trying to strive for greater things if you're trying to learn something new if you're let's say trying to get into better shape trying to get a new job you're gonna have those challenges and you know not be disheartened when things don't go your way when you know you fail or something that's just life you know be prepared to fail that's probably one of the best pieces of advice that i can give is just you know accept failure but don't let it be the end you know just see it as the next stepping stone to hopefully something better and i find usually if you keep at, at things then you do does lead to something better as well so um that's the end of the podcast guys i really appreciate you coming on the podcast jeff hopefully you enjoyed it because i definitely know i enjoyed talking about your time at servios you know the games are working on and you know all out the jazz Oh, I greatly appreciate this opportunity. You know, I think you got a, a great thing going here. And, uh, you know, it's really nice just to have, uh, you know, again, these, these casual conversations mm -hmm. uh, and a little insight into uh, the industry and, uh, you know, the folks that, uh, you know, uh, are there that are creating the experiences that we all uh, know and love. So thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And we appreciate having you on, Jeff. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And stay tuned for the next episode of FireDev. Bye-bye.